Today's sermon, the title is called The Lord's Prayer. We're talking about prayer. And what is he praying about? He's praying for eternal life. Children, eternal life. So mark that one down, children. We'll be at a John 17. John 17. What an incredible chapter this is. This chapter is just loaded. This chapter is way too much to cover in a week. This is way too much to cover in two weeks. But as I read the scriptures, I was praying through the scriptures, eternal life just kept coming up, the theme of eternal life. And what could be more important for such a time as this than to talk about eternal life? Last week, Pastor Ron talked about praying in Jesus' name. And today, we're able to see how our Lord actually prays. We have a very intimate look here. The most detailed look at our Lord's prayer. He's praying to the Father right now. We're able to see how the, the Trinitarian love relationship between the Father and the Son is, is working here. We're able to see a, take a glimpse into this. And this is a very difficult time for Jesus and disciples. Death is in the air. It's a serious time. In a matter of moments after this prayer, Jesus will be arrested. Jesus will be tried. Jesus will be put to death. Soon after that, the disciples will be hunted down, and eventually all but one will be martyred, except for John, and they would all die early. So death is a reality for Jesus and the disciples, and this is what Jesus prays for. And this is a very intimate look so th- uh, between the Father and the Son. But today we're focusing on how our Lord prays for our eternal life. So let's rise, if you're able to, John 17, 1 through 13. This is God's word. Jesus spoke these things, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. This eternal life, that they may know you. This is eternal life, that they may know you. The only true God. And Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had before, with you before the world was. Verse 6. I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me I have given to them, and they received them, and truly understood that I came forth from you, and they, be- and they believed that you sent me. Verse 9, who is Jesus praying for? I ask on their behalf, the disciples. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine. And I have been glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world. And I come to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me. And I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Finishing up here, verse 13. But now I come to you. And these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. 
I pray your son will be preached. And I pray, Lord, that, that your saints will gain greater confidence in you and love you more. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. Please have a seat. It's an intimate look here at our Lord's conversation with the Father. But 2020, 2020, 2020, I'm calling it the year of clarity, all right? And I've talked about this before and, and how this year's been pretty challenging. This is the most unique time and a very challenging and hard time for not just our church family, but for the world. I believe 2020, God's given us clear vision on what matters the most. Where all other things seem kind of secondary right now, does it not? I've, I've had the blessing and the privilege of being part of several funerals here already at Evergreen SGV. I've heard of many family and friends who have passed away. Many have been struggling with health issues. Many close calls, even. Some of us have had close calls and being able to pull out physically. We've had famous athletes like Kobe Bryant, our beloved Kobe Bryant, and, and eight others who have crashed on a hel helicopter accident. All these things are constant reminders of how short life is. And this, as we're standing right now, and wherever we're sitting at home or wherever we're at, this whole coronavirus situation has reminded us that all men are on a level field when it comes to death. We all have to face this issue. Death is a reality that we will all have to face someday. And the coronavirus is just another example of how we live in a fallen, sinful world. I mean, the coronavirus has touched all walks of life. It doesn't matter if you're a third world a country to a first world country. It doesn't matter if you're young or old. It doesn't matter if you're poor or rich. It doesn't matter if you're a commoner or you're royalty even. The coronavirus has touched and impacted all walks of life. It doesn't matter if you're unknown or you're a household celebrity. The coronavirus has touched us all, and uh, 2020 is the year of clarity. So I'm going to get to point number one here, and we're talking about eternal life. Every point is about eternal life, and it's all here in, in John 17. First point is this. What is eternal life? What is eternal life? And I'm just going to read here from verse 2. It says this, Even as you gave him authority over all flesh, Jesus was given all authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life, the Bible says. Now what is eternal life? Eternal life is more than just quantity. Eternal life is forever. It's everlasting life. However, keep in mind, those who perish apart from Christ We'll live forever, but apart from God. Those who know Christ will be with God. But both are going to live eternally, so it's, it's eternal life right here is talking more than just quantity. Eternal life is also talking about quality of eternal life as well. Joy everlasting, the Bible says, if you trust in Christ as Lord. And this joy is directly tied in to living with God in existence without sin. We, we don't even know what that's like. Every moment that we walk and breathe and, and talk to other people, turn on the news, uh, our relationships that we're dealing with, this whole coronavirus situation that we're in, is because of sin. We live in a fallen world. This is what it is. And the coronavirus is, is a huge reminder of this. We're not home yet, brothers and sisters. Church, we're not home. This is hard. 
And our Lord is giving more clarity of vision to us right now through these things, as we all of us, I'm sure, have thought about what matters in the end. Due to sin, there's disease and death. Due to sin, we've all suffered hard relationships, maybe even broken relationships, maybe even broken relationships with family members. All right? All of us deal with the tension that lies within versus the spirit and the flesh. Is it the spirit of God that rules us, or is it our own sinful flesh? There's that tension. Can you imagine that day when we don't have to deal with that anymore? That is something to behold and something to look forward to. And we'll be in a glorified state. What does that mean? We will be like Jesus. We won't be gods, but we will have glorified bodies. It will exist like Jesus forever, and we'll be with Jesus. Now, what is eternal life? Let's look at verse 3. Jesus defines eternal life in verse 3. This is eternal life. What is it, Jesus? That they, the disciples, all of us, may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Two things. It's a... It's a divine relationship with the one true God. The Bible says to know the one true God. The Bible also says to know Jesus Christ. Now this word know in the original language carries a deep meaning. This is more than I have intellectual knowledge or I have awareness. This is a deep, intimate love relationship with God. This is eternal life that you and I love Christ. We love the Father. We love the Holy Spirit. We love the Godhead. I know the Godhead. Let me give you an illustration. I am married. My wife's name is Sharla, and I remember in our, we met in our college days, and back in those days at the University of Southern California, those were some of the best days of our lives, and we were both athletes at USC, and and so that's where we got to know each other. I said, who's that? I just thought to myself, you know, we worked out together. We were getting academic tutoring together. We were even in the same classes together. At first, I just thought, oh, who's that? So we got to know each other. But now, fast forward, I don't know, 20, 21 years later, we're going on year 17 of our marriage. We have four children. We've experienced the ups and downs of life. We've, we'd fought. We'd made up. We'd had a good time. We'd grown as friends. I know my wife. I know my wife. At one point, I intellectually knew who she was, but now I know my wife, and she knows me. We're in an intimate love relationship with one another. It isn't perfect, but it's definitely genuine. And that's what we're talking about right now. Do you have an intimate love relationship with God? It may not be perfect. Definitely not perfect. There may be a lot of repenting. There may be some hard moments, just like in my marriage. But is it genuine? Is it real? Is it something that dominates your thoughts in your mind? Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven 37 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, with everything you got. This is the greatest commandment, the Bible says. To know God, to know Christ, is to have eternal life. Eternal life is very personal. Eternal life is having a personal, intimate relationship with God. That's what it is, point number one. Now let's go to point number two here. Let's move along here. 
The second point is, who has eternal life? Isn't that important for us to know? That's critical that we know. I'm just going to read from verse 4 here. Jesus, keep in mind, this is a prayer. Jesus is talking to the Father. This is not a, a presentation or a discourse. However, the, the disciples are able to hear what Jesus is praying. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Christ glorified the Father. The Father had a plan, a rescue mission for the Son to go redeem and rescue his people. And that's what this work that Jesus is talking about. Jesus was sent on a rescue mission from the Father. Bible says in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, He became poor so that we, the church, could become rich. What does this mean? This, what, the, what this means is Jesus left the heavenly throne room. He's being worshipped by angels. He has full glory and honor on display. Jesus walks off the throne room of heaven, comes down to earth, puts on frail human flesh, and goes to the cross. And he's just moments from being arrested right now. He became poor. God became the God-man, lived the perfect life, he wasn't of this world. He came to this world to save those of us who are part of this world so he could bring us back with him someday. Now, as, as, I, as I read this for you, and I talk to you about this, how personal was this mission trip? Think about it now. When Christ was coming down from heaven into Mary's womb and being born and Grown up as a normal boy into becoming full maturity in, as the God-man. How personal was that mission trip? All right. In other words, did our Lord have you and me mind, you and me in mind specifically as He came to Earth? Isn't that interesting for us to figure that out, or, it, or did He just come in just generally just obeying the Father, not knowing who He would redeem? Well, let's look at verse six here. I want to look at first part of verse 6 here. And, and verse 6 will give us clarity onto that question here. I have manifested your name. Okay, what does that mean? That means that our Lord explained to the disciples and to the world through the disciples who the Father is. I'm going to read to you one Bible verse, John 1.18. All right, John 1.18, this is what our Lord says the scriptures okay john 1 18 no one has seen god at any time hear that no one has heard, seen god at any time semicolon the only begotten god who is in the bosom of the father this is jesus he has explained him he has explained him well this is saying that the jesus has told the world who the, who the Father is, who God is. He talked, explained to him his character, his nature, his attributes. In essence, in John 14, 9, Jesus says, He who has seen me has seen the Father. If you know who Jesus is through the scriptures, you know who the Father is. Jesus has manifested the Father's name to you, me, 
through himself because Jesus is God. Now, who did he manifest the name to? Let's keep looking at uh, chapter, uh, verse 6 here of John 17. I have manifested your name to who? To the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Brothers and sisters, this is a very personal mission. This is talking about the doctrine, the great doctrine of election. I'm gonna, there's other uh, part, uh, uh, hints of this throughout John 17. Let's turn back to verse 2. Even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that's all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. Let's go to verse, uh, verse 9 of John 17. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world. There's a divide there. He, Jesus is clearly praying for the disciples. But of those, these are the disciples, that's you and me as well, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours. The Father had you and me in mind as he sent Jesus to earth on this rescue mission. Let's look at a couple other verses, just to make sure we're hearing this from other parts of the scriptures. You always want to look to other parts of the scriptures before you develop any doctrine. What does the Bible teach on this topic? Romans. Okay, we'll be out of Romans uh, verse 8, I mean chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. Verse 30. And those, these whom he predestined, all right, God's in control, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. All right, let's, let's take a look at one more scripture here. Ephesians chapter 1 here. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. Just as he, the Father, chose us in him, chose us in him before the foundation of the world, before the universe was created, we were chosen, the Bible says, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us to adoption as sons. We've been adopted as children, sons and daughters of God, through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. This doctrine of election is, is taught throughout the scriptures. Matthew twenty-two fourteen. if you want to reference that, it says many are called or invited, but few are chosen, the Bible says. All right? Acts 13, 48, it says that however many were appointed to eternal life, appointed by God. Revelations 13, 8 talks about the book of life, whose names are written before the foundations of the world in the book of life. So the big idea is, is how does the doctrine of election affect us? Well, it tells us one thing, that God is in control, but also that it was a very personal rescue mission by Jesus Christ. He had you and me in mind as he came to earth. Very personal, very personal rescue mission. Now, I just want to take an application break right now. All right, what do we do with this? Some people have said, well, since God has chosen, then why do we even have to evangelize? Isn't God going to save whoever? God will save who he has chosen. However, 
We're called to make disciples, the Bible says. This is the first leg of discipleship. Evangelism is the first leg of discipleship. You know, the central theme of our church is going to be discipleship. And we have to know our role in this. God's role is to decide, and he's determined. He is in control. That's his role. What is our role? We do not know who God has chosen. Therefore, our role is to simply tell people about the gospel. That's our job. And hearts are very soft right now because of what we're talking about. People are getting much more clarity of vision of what matters in the end. Don't you think people want to talk about eternal life? Don't you think people want to know how they could be at peace with God? This is a time in, uh, of our world where the most richest, most powerful men in the world are not in control. It's obvious. Since we're not in control, who is in control? God, the one who holds the universe by the power of his word, the Bible says. God, Christ Jesus is in control. There are no rogue molecules floating around. There are no rogue viruses apart from God's word. God controls everything. So our goal, our role is simply to tell people about the gospel. And our goal is simply to glorify God. You don't even have to worry about the results. That's not even up to you. God is the one who takes care of the results. And as you evangelize, look to personalize it. Just like it was a personal rescue mission from Christ to save us, personalize your, your testimony. Tell people about your testimony. Tell people about your setbacks and scars. Tell people where you used to be and now that you come to Christ, how God has transformed you. Share these things. This makes it way more personal. This makes it way more identifiable, right? I wasn't perfect. I had a rough time before I became a Christian. Struggled in sin, still struggle in sin. People need to hear that. People need to hear that. Hearts are softer right now. All right, let's go to point number three, brothers and sisters. This is awesome. John 17 is so encouraging as I'm reading John 17, it's going to get even more encouraging here. All right. Who secures eternal life? Point number three, who secures eternal life? I have a question. Do we hold on to God or does God hold on to us? All right. How are we, how is our eternity secured? Is it because of our own diligence and I'm going to grip onto Christ and I'm never going to let go? Well, here's the illustration. Back when we lived in Washington, we liked going on hikes, and we liked going on hikes with different families, and one of the families, our friends, asked us to go on a hike to Rattlesnake Ridge. I said, all right, sounds good, Rattlesnake Ridge. We had four kids at the time. They're that much, I don't know, maybe five years younger. They're young, maybe actually seven years younger, so they're young. And how, how bad could this be? You know, the other family has little kids, and Man, Rattlesnake Ridge, you have to traverse back and forth, back and forth. And I had little Timothy on my back. <laughs> I was sweating, and somehow I made it up there. And then, and then I took him out of my backpack, and the reward of Rattlesnake Ridge is you're able to look over a huge cliff. There's a big dome that you get to walk up to, and there's a huge cliff overlooking water. But that water is not very close. It is far down below. And it's a beautiful sight, but it's horrific for me. I don't like heights. So as I'm holding my baby, 
Am I counting on my baby to be safe? Or am I gripping onto him like my life depends upon it? I'm the one that holds him. He may have held on to me some, but I'm the one that was holding in my arms. Let's look to scripture here. Let's see if that illustration sounds familiar. Let's, let's look to John 10, uh, 28 and 29. This is the picture of the good shepherd taking care of the sheep. All right. John 10, 28, 29. And I give eternal life to them. There it is again, children, eternal life. And they will never perish. And no one, hear that, brothers and sisters, no one will snatch them out of my hand. Verse 29. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. There it is, the doctrine of election again. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. God is the one that holds us in his arms. What could be more comforting than that idea, that truth, in such a time as this? God secures our eternity. Let's go deeper now. Let's go deeper. How, is it, how does this happen? I want us to go deeper because I want us to have greater confidence that this is truth. This is absolute truth. Verse 9 of John 17, back to John, chapter 17, brothers, sisters. Verse 9, I ask on their behalf. Jesus is praying for us. This is a specific prayer for disciples, followers of Christ. Not the world. Jesus is praying for followers of Christ. And Romans 5.10, if you want to jot that down, you can look it up later. Romans 5.10 says that Jesus has a much more ministry even than his death. Even the cross is a much more ministry. I can't even think about something that could be greater. But you'll see here at Hebrews 7.25. Read Hebrews 7.25 for us. How does our Lord secure our eternity? Hebrews 7.25. Therefore, he, this is talking about Jesus. This is talking about Jesus after his death and resurrection and ascension back to heaven. Therefore, he is able to save forever. There it is, eternal life. He's able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, through Jesus. Why? Comma. Comma, here it is. Since he always lives, he lives forever, he always lives to make intercession for them. He always lives to make intercession for them. Who's them? That's us, the church. He's praying for us right now at the right hand of the Father, praying. And as Pastor Ron talked about last week, whenever we pray in Jesus' name, it's, it's done. And if Jesus is praying, you know it's in Jesus' name. He's praying to the Father, keep them, Father, keep them, Father, keep them from denying you. Keep them from, uh, from stumbling spiritually. Keep them from denying us, even when it gets hard, even during the coronavirus. Father, keep them. That's what he's praying. And, and as we look at verse, uh, Let's go down to verse 11 here. I want us to look at verse 11, John 17. Look at this intimate prayer. I am no longer in the world. Jesus is leaving. And yet they themselves are in the world. We're still in this sinful, fallen world. And I come to you. Look at how he prays. Holy Father. This is significant. Jesus calls the Father, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. Holy Father, this is significant. 
Why does he call him Holy Father? Well, one reason, because he is. But here's a quote that helps me. I found this quote by A.W. Tozer, who's a preacher. And he says this, What comes into our minds when we think of God, when you think of God, is the most important thing about us. What comes to mind what comes into our minds when we think of God is the most important thing about us. In other words, our view of God defines who we are. In other words, we have a higher view of God, we have confidence. Coronavirus seems small and God is big. If we have a low view of God, coronavirus seems huge and God seems small. Therefore, instead of confidence, we have fear ruling our lives. Holiness of God. What is the holiness of God? Holiness is the sum of God is a summary of all of God's attributes. That means he's completely set apart from all created things. We can't even begin to imagine how great God is. But the higher view of God we have, the more confidence we'll be having. So that's when Jesus prays, keep them in your name, Holy Father. That means keep them, protect them, preserve them from denying you, denying me. Jesus is saying, keep them according to your, with everything that you got, Father. This is a guarantee. Remember, the Bible says no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hands. No one. High and tight. Keep us according to all that who the Father is. So therefore, we need to know truth. That's why we look at the scriptures. We need to have an accurate view of who God is. We can't have a God of our own imagination. Any of that. We need to know who God is according to what the scripture says. This is huge because Jesus' prayer life, our eternity is secure. It's because of his prayer life. Our Lord is praying for you and me right now, the Bible says. This is our Lord's greatest ministry. He's praying. And if you want to be more like Christ, let's pray for one another. Let's pray for one another. And this week, tomorrow, we've got a great opportunity to come together as a church family. Great opportunity. Two slots, 6.30 a.m. If you, if you want to start praying before your children get up or if you have to start work, and 7.30 p.m. at night, lasting for no more than an hour. We're going to use Zoom technology, and we're going to pray. We're going to pray. We're going to pray for spiritual needs. We're going to pray for physical needs. We're going to be able to come together and pray for one another. If you're able to, please join us in prayer. Somebody comes to mind. Back in 2019, January 2019, there was a sudden heart attack in our church family. I could see him right now. I could see his family right now. His name is Albert Chong. I talked to Brother Albert. I said, Brother Albert, is it okay I shared this? I know these things could be personal. Because no, absolutely. I want to use my testimony to help people to know the Lord more and trust him more. He had this massive heart attack which left him in a, in a coma. His wife heroically drove him to the hospital and the staff came and we left our staff retreat to visit him and we didn't know what was going to happen. We were, we were concerned about potential brain damage. And then there was a prayer chain that was set up. People were praying for Brother Albert. This happened on January 2019. And on March 31st of the same year, Brother Albert stood here with his own two feet and giving testimony of how God healed him, how God saved his physical life. That was, 
almost exactly one year ago today. Brother Albert was standing right here preaching. He was literally, my wife said, man, it sounds like he's preaching. He was preaching and telling us what was most important in life. He said two things mattered or lasted forever, people and God's word. And the reason why I bring this up is to praise God once again, but also we rejoiced in this, what happened. But there's different levels of rejoicing, I believe, that happened. We all rejoice. We're, all of us in here were completely happy and happy for him and his family. But those of us who entered into prayer, I think God gave us an extra level of joy. So when this coronavirus situation passes, you will experience greater joy by praying. By praying. And the fourth and final point, finishing up here, is this, out of verse 13. What is the fruit of eternal life? Let's read verse 13. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world. Why? So that they may have my joy made full in themselves. The Bible says, my joy made full in themselves. What could be more joyful than knowing that you have eternal life? What could be more joyful knowing that Jesus is praying for you and me right now, securing our eternity during this difficult time, this unstable time, this most unique time? What could be more joyful than that? Doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but we could have a supernatural joy knowing that God has secure our eternity. Brothers and sisters, we're not home yet. We're not home yet, and our home is with our God the one and true God. Eternal life is what matters in the end. Think deeply about these things. Are, do you know God the way the Bible describes him? Intimate love relationship with God. Do you know him? If you do, I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters. In my preaching, I definitely think about the church. And, I, and let's go to Romans 8 here. Turn to Romans 8. If you've got your phones, your Bibles, this is worth it. Romans 8, verse 31, we're going to start off and we're going to finish off here. This is a word of encouragement from the Apostle Paul. Verse 31, talking about those who he called and predestined. Now verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who's against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? How would he not give us what we need? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Verse 34, who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus, is he who died? Yes. Rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes or prays for us. He's praying for us. There's another verse that says Jesus is praying for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. Persecution was happening. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 37, but in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, demons, right, nor things present, nor things to come, nor power, nor height, nor depth, 
nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What could be more joyful, brothers and sisters? I hope this is encouraging you right now. Help this is giving you clarity of vision of what matters in the end. Now, to those of us right now who may be listening, who do not know you as Lord, just want to make an appeal to you. There's a coming day which is much more terrifying than the coronavirus. That's the day of the Lord. If we fear the Lord as much as we fear the coronavirus, we'd be much more holier and confident. The day of the Lord is coming. And if your sin virus has not been treated with the message of the gospel, it will kill your joy forever. Give your life to Christ today. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day where you heard the good news of Christ, that he loves you and he's died for you and he's calling you to be part of his family. Give your life to Christ as your Lord and your Savior and you could experience this confidence with the brotherhood and sisterhood. This is the joy that the Lord wants you to have. This is what the Lord is praying for the church, that we would have eternal life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time to preach your word. I pray, Lord, that your word was preached faithfully. I pray, Lord, that the brotherhood and sisterhood are encouraged. How you're praying for us right now, Jesus. I thank you that John 17 is there for us to lean on right now. For such a time as this, Jesus, you encourage us. Thank you that you allowed John to record this prayer. And it wasn't just some private thing between you and the Father, but you allowed this thing to be public for the church to be edified. Father, I pray for those of us who are listening and watching right now who do not know you. I pray, Lord, that your spirit will fall on them and they will cry to you, Jesus, as their Lord and Savior. They will recognize their sin issue and they will cry out to you and beg you for forgiveness and trust that you have forgiven them because of what happened on the cross and what, what, what happened in the grave, how you rose from the grave. This is the Lord's day because of that fact. So thank you, Father. I pray you continue to watch over the Evergreen SGV Church family. May we grow in our love for you during this time. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.